This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weightloss. That's plushcare.com slash weightloss. Hello and welcome. On today's episode, we have Dennis Sumlin. This guy is a motivation speaker. He helps people find their confidence and he is an amazing individual. He has a website called coreconfidence.com. Hello and welcome to the show, Dennis. How are you doing today? I am doing well. Fantastic. Dennis, why did you create a company called Core Confidence? Well, Core Confidence Life It's a service to help millennial men overcome their inner limitations. And so they can attract the healthy relationships, pleasure, and prosperity that they desire in life. Because everything that we do in life starts from the mind. That's why I'm a mindset specialist. It starts in the mind. Whatever messages that we have, whatever viewpoints, principles, values we have that start out in the mind before we actually live it out. And so I think the one of the main ingredients to being a confident, you know, successful man is being able to get your mindset in the right frame where you could accomplish these things. Growing up as a man, was confidence a huge issue for you? Yes. You know, it's very interesting that kind of sort of a contradiction. Like if, if you spoke to people who knew me when I was younger, because I have a lot of people I've known forever, like lifelong friends and so forth. If you speak to some of them, they'll tell you that when I was younger, I was really 
confident and bold and hard-headed and mouthy and I was but at the same time I you know used to second guess myself I still felt insecure even though I was confident I still felt insecure I you know I would compare myself to others I would second guess what I did you know really just you know had a bit of a low self-esteem lack of confidence in myself even though I displayed confidence on the outside Growing up, I wanted to become more confident. I wanted to figure out what being a man was all about. Being confident, what was that all about? What was achievement all about? How do I get where I want to get in life? And so at a young age, I started researching these kinds of things. I started uh, reading books. I started uh, looking into different studies to try to figure out the puzzle of how people work. Of course, by extension, how I work. And what made you have these triggers of feeling insecure and all about yourself? So that's, that's, that's a very, very good question. How do I answer this question? It's a complex question to answer. When I was younger, like I said earlier, I was bold. I was I kind of did what I wanted to do. I kind of just kind of took control of things in my life when I was a kid. I was also visually impaired and then I went totally blind at a certain age. And so all, all those things, it's like... I started to second guess myself because I didn't know how I should be. I didn't have a, a role model, a male role model growing up. You know, my father died when I was a teenager, so I really didn't have any male role models. Um, I didn't have any friends my age by that point. And so I began to wonder, how do I comport myself as a man? How do I comport myself as an adult? I guess I got the impression based on people around me and messages you hear from the community, the culture, that you can't be too much of something. So I used to wonder, well, am I too direct or do I need to silence myself a little bit more to get along with people? Am I too bold or do I need to calm down to be liked by people more? Am I too confident or do I need to be a little bit more passive to get along with people more? I used to ask myself those questions. And then I would look at what the culture portrayed as being a strong man. And a lot of those traits I didn't have. Like, I'm not really into sports. You know, if you're a man, you're into sports, girl. Okay, well, great. I'm not really into sports that much. I'm not tall and muscular. I don't have all these stereotypes that the culture portrays a man is supposed to have. And so I began to question, like, I'm not into sports. I'm not into chasing a thousand girls around all day long. Um, I'm not six foot five on a, on a football team. So am I really a man? Like, you know. And then also being someone who is labeled as disabled, a lot of people, they question the capabilities of someone who is labeled disabled. They question the manhood of people who are labeled disabled. So there was a lot of different things that caused me to second guess everything that I was. And I thought maybe I had to tone myself down to be liked and to get along with people instead of being so bold and so do what I want. And so that's kind of why I did have questions about my own level of confidence and how I should comport myself. Without having a male role in your, in your life, how did you figure out the, the components of being a male through growing up? Oh, trial and error. So like I said, like anybody, I started to take cues from the people around me, what, uh, what being a man was, what it looked like. I started taking cues from people around me um, and the media and culture. And, you know, as I just said, I saw that I didn't fit into a lot of the stereotypical categories of what that was. 
because I'm not into all these stereotypical traits that supposedly all men are into, which is not true, but that's how they portray it. And so I started to just kind of study things, read up about psychology, human behavior, human sexuality, all these things. And I had to go out there and just kind of try things out myself, just kind of learn manhood through trial and error go out there and kind of do what I thought maybe I should do and see how the world responded. And then kind of uh, go out there, make decisions, make mistakes, rise, fall, until I figured it all out. So that's how I did it. While, while experimenting with all these elements to kind of figure out what works for you, what was the aha moment when you realized I have it all fixed on the trigger button of this is who I am? There wasn't really one moment where I said I have it all figured out because I don't have it all figured out. We all don't because growth, personal growth is an ongoing process. You know, as I said, the the journey is the destination. So as long as we're alive, we're going to continue to grow. So even though now, you know, I'm in my 40s, I've had a lot of experience. I am a certified, educated mindset specialist, but I'm still growing in my own way. So there was no moment. It kind of happened over time. Over time, I started to, you know, get more and more comfortable with who I am after going through different experiences. So, for example, I tried to fit in with the crowd. I wanted to be one of the boys. I wanted to be liked. So I used to try to fit myself into different circles of, of, of men and see how I fit. Is this really me or isn't it me? I thought about, oh, I really want to be liked, but I couldn't get myself to fake it. I couldn't get myself to pretend to be something. I, I just couldn't do it. So I would go to different circles of men or different, different little subcultures and see if that subculture fit me or not. Do I, do I resonate with this crowd or do I resonate with that crowd? So it was more of a trial and error on different aspects of who I am. And I got to see where I fit, where I was uncomfortable, where I had more insecurities, where I felt more confident. And over time, I slowly started to put things together. And at a certain point in my life, I did make a big change from one thing to another. For example, there was a point in my life where I took a look at what I've done. I was in my 30s at this point. I took a look at my life and where it was at the time. And even though I did a lot of good things, I made a lot of progress, my life still wasn't going exactly the way I had thought it might. But I also realized that I didn't actually think about where my life was headed. That is when I really, really started to hit the reset button and start all over again and kind of restructure my life in a totally, not a totally different way, but a somewhat different way than it has been going to that point. It's interesting how in figuring out the person that you are and hitting the reset button, we all have those points in our life where we realize that I have to re-hit the reset button. It's like a snake shedding its skin and becoming another person, but it's still the same snake. Is that how you felt at that time? Well, yeah. Like When I was going through the big change, um, when I really changed the structure of where my life was headed, I always want to use the term, I was I was born again. But I don't say born again, because that has religious connotations. So I don't want to deliver that message. It is the same effect. I took the things I was doing in my life, the habits, the tendencies, the attitude, and I totally hit the reset button. I, I changed it to something different, to the way I live now today. Um, so it is like shedding old skin, growing new skin, but still being the same person, just with a fresh coat of skin. What was it like living in New York with a visual impairment or blindness? 
Oh boy. Well, first of all, I, I definitely want to say that New York is probably one of the most accessible places to live. If you are a totally blind person, New York has a lot of transportation. It's got buses and trains, you know, that goes to most places in the city, not everywhere, but it's got a thousand million buses and trains. A lot of the city is a grid format where you can follow the patterns of the streets and the avenues. So it really is an accessible place to be. And so if you want to live as an independent person, as a blind person, I would say you move to a large city like New York. And I've been to other cities in the United States, you know, that are smaller, but still big cities. So you want to live in a large city if you can, or somewhere close to that for accessible reasons. But as far as other things go, and I don't think this is exclusive to New York, uh, I think that people have a lot of misconceptions on what it is to be blind or disabled or whatever you want to call it. And so people sometimes, you know, act in a way that they think is helpful, but really is counterproductive for the blind person. And so I know that there's some people that mean well. Uh, there are other people that just totally have misconceptions about what it is to be blind. And then there are other people that just have cultural or internal issues around the idea of dealing with somebody blind. So it's a variety of things. Um, but I would say mostly it's a good experience living in New York. Do you get frustrated when people, what you just described there, where people feel like, oh, he's blind, he must, you know, the kind of the negative con impact or image around it in the sense of, oh, can you see this? Can you see that? Can you do this? Does that frustrate you? Oh, yeah. You know, what's funny about this. This is an interesting question. So I was always visually impaired when I was a kid. I was born visually impaired. And then later on in life, uh, when I was like 11 years old, I became totally blind. But it happened when I was a kid. So I was already, I wouldn't say used to, but when I first went totally blind, everything moved into place. Like they, I, I changed schools so I can get, you know, braille instruction. And so I can start taking mobility to learn how to move around as a blind person. I was introduced to accessible technology. And all this happened when I was a kid. And so I absorbed the message and it was never, it was said to me directly and it was said indirectly that blindness doesn't matter. Blindness has nothing to do with who you are. It's got nothing to do with what you can accomplish. You are the exact same person that you were. That is the message that was taught to me directly and indirectly. When I got older and I got into the adult world, as you say, I was very thrown off by the response from the larger society about what blindness was. To me, blindness was nothing. I'm the same person. It makes zero difference in how I do things. It just changes how I do things. The society sees, many people in society see it different. I was uh, shocked, appalled, and dismayed uh, that people treated me lesser due to that. Some people did. They thought of me as uh, lesser than a man. They thought of me as more of a kind of like a naive, innocent little thing that needed assistance with everything. Um, that's not at all who I am. I had to get used to the idea that people thought of me in the opposite way that I was. And so it took me a very long time to know how to deal with that. I didn't actually know how to deal with society's visions of me and the way they approached me. It took me years to learn how to deal with that because to me, blindness is nothing. To everyone else, it's everything. But, you know, so I didn't know what to say when someone would say something that I thought was disrespectful or that I thought was demeaning. Because if you curse somebody out or if you say, hey, don't talk to me that way, they don't understand that they just spoke to you that way. So it causes a conflict. So it took me a while to try to figure out what do I do when I'm confronted with subpar behavior? What do I do when it comes to that? 
And that goes back to what I was saying before. How much of myself can I be? Can I be my full self, which is kind of bold, outspoken, a little mouthy and confident? Or do I have to downplay myself to not cause too much conflict? So I didn't know. <laughs> so it took me a while to figure that out. Over those years of figuring that out, what was the ways that you found to kind of now, if someone asked you that exact same question, you're just like, oh yeah, you know, this is how I go about it. The difference is I don't have a problem with questions. I have a problem with demeaning approaches. So if somebody wants to ask me a question about how blindness is, look, I've spoken to many people, you know, as a speaker, as a presenter. I've spoken to people from elementary school all the way through college. I've mentored, you know, younger teens. I've, you know, I've been involved in, you know, organizations for the blind. So I'm not offended by questions. You could ask me everything. I've heard questions from, you know, simple things of how do you cross the street to, you know, how do you have sex? Uh, I've heard everything in between. So those things don't offend me at all. What offends me is the assumptions that because I am blind, that I can't do anything. Like, what are you doing out here by yourself? Instead of just asking, how does a blind person get around? What are you doing out here by yourself? Who takes care of you? Who handles your health care? I can tell you tons of stories on the approaches of people. Some of them mean well, some of them don't. But again, there's a difference between questions and wrong approaches. Do you assume that society creates this assumption that someone who is blind has to live this way? Yeah, I think society has a caricature of blind people and disabled people in general. From what I've been able to gather from the things I've seen, some people think that if you're blind, you pretty much don't have a life. You need someone to take care of you. May it be a home attendant, whether it be your parents or whatever, someone's got to take care of you. Um, you don't really have any um, job prospects because you're blind. What can you possibly do, right? You can't travel anywhere because you're blind. You can't see where you're going. Um, you certainly don't have any personal life or any dating prospects because you're blind. You can't have any intimate relations with anyone because you're blind and you have a home attendant. So where's your privacy? You are assumed not to know as much because you're blind. How do you, you, so you may not be adjusted to society and how to act in social settings. These are things that people assume of people who are disabled. And none of those things are actually true. There's definitely a dissonance, a cognitive dissonance between who I know I was and who I was taught I could be versus what society's preconceived notions were. That's interesting how you know who you are and society knows who you are in a sense of, but yes, knowing your own self is where your own thriveness can come comparing to society just puts you in this box. Yeah, it, it does. It's a box. And I had to figure out how to do this because, you know, I'm not a shy wallflower. You know, most people, if they are spoken to or treated a certain way, are going to speak up. Most people are going to do what they can to pursue what makes them happy in life. And so I had to figure out how to do this, navigate the concepts of what society thought. But I needed to learn how to deal with situations that I would confront that would challenge me. So it's, it's definitely something that I had to adapt to. What is your pursuit of happiness? Well, my pursuit of happiness Look, I, I'm, I'm a person that I've been coaching since I've been 19 years old. I've been performing and speaking and things like that since I've been 19 years old, even earlier, actually. 
So my mission in life is really to one, you know, heal myself, you know, continue the growth process. I'm a very growth oriented person. And also to help other people get there too. You know, like I said at the, at the beginning, everything starts in the mind. And because I have a deep understanding of the human mind, mindset, holistic approaches to life, like spirituality and, and things like that, because I have those kinds of things that I practice, I want other people to be able to experience the same things I've experienced as far as finding out who you are, tapping into your natural confidence, building on that confidence, succeeding in all the things that you want to succeed in, erasing a lot of the shame, guilt, and stigma that all of us are taught in life, reducing or erasing the shame and stigma that society puts on us about ourselves. And so I want to help people change their mind frame to something that's more productive for them and for them to step into their own power. I love that. When we step into our own power, we unleash the voice we have within us. And probably throughout from the age of 19 to now, you've been teaching people to unleash their true power and release that awesome voice they have. Oh, absolutely. And it, and, and it feels so good. Once you get aligned, once your thoughts and your words and your deeds, once they become aligned, you will experience amazing happiness and contentment. And it has nothing to really do with material attributes. You know, I'm not super rich with a mansion, but that doesn't matter. I am happy with who I am. I am confident with who I am. And so that's where I think people as a society we need to get to is a better comfortability and contentment and happiness with who we are, stepping into our power and really blessing the world with our own unique gifts. And as a mindset coach, what do you do to relax? Do you listen to music, cook, travel? For myself, definitely. I have a very strict routine. It's flexible, but it's strict. So I meditate. Meditation is a part of my daily life. You know, living holistically and living with a pro-growth mindset and attitude is the way of life for me. So I meditate every day. I also write in, write in a journal and get, you know deal with that every day. Um, I make sure I get enough sleep. Sleep is very, very, very important. And so I take sleep very seriously. And so I keep a strict sleep schedule. You know, I do that. Obviously, I listen, you know, I listen to music and things like that. You know, those are the kind of things I do. And I'm also, I also stay very conscious, self-aware. Stay very self-aware because I'm always looking to grow. And so I stay aware of who I am and what I'm doing in life. And so when I come across a challenge, I actively seek ways to overcome that challenge, especially challenges that I find with inside myself. I, my whole life is this pro-growth attitude towards life. I love that. Growth to life. Make your own self-awareness of who you are. It's like, it's like you're sculpting of who you want to be in some way. There's always character sculpting going on in my mind. I'm always processing character sculpting. If I come across an obstacle, I try to look at it thoroughly and see what I can come up with a solution. And so I've made enormous changes in my life from, you know, when I was younger up until now. What kind of music do you like listening to? I like all kinds of music. I like everything from rap and hip hop and R&B to pop music, adult contemporary, dance. But I really am a pop person. 
I'm really am a pop kid. I, that's what I grew up on. I grew up on, for those who are listening in the United States, I grew up on Casey's Top 40, you know, Billboard Top 40 charts. I'm really a pop kid and I grew up that way. And pop music just is, means popular music. So it doesn't mean any particular genre per se. Although there is a pop musical formula. We all know there's a difference between typical pop music and let's say dance or rock. But I am into pop music as well as other things like, you know, R&B and rap. Really, I'm not musically prejudiced. I will listen to anything that sounds good because I appreciate things for their own value. Yeah, music is a piece of art and when you're listening to all different types of arts, you get to see, you know, the Renaissance era to the contemporary to all sorts of stuff. That's what music is in some way, you know. Absolutely. And I grew up, you know, doing music amateurly. And I started making my home albums when I was a kid. So I kind of, you know, taught myself over the years on, I guess, for lack of a better term, how to be an entertainer. So I started when I was 15, making my own home music albums, you know, taking a radio and taking a song that was already created and singing over the beat, um, if you can call that singing back then. <laughs> so I appreciate all styles of entertainment because I experimented with all those styles of entertainment throughout my life. By the time you were kind of playing around at your home records, who inspired you to in the music world at the time? Really? This may sound like it's a non-answer, but pretty much everybody. Um, I listen to everybody's style. If you would listen to my early music, you might say, like, I may have picked up a couple things, maybe from Michael Jackson or something like that. Um, you know, big pop stars of the day. Um, but really, you know, during my time of creating all this amateur material, I experimented with many different genres, rock songs, you know, rap songs, singing, just to really find out which one of these things fit me the best. Uh, which one of these things do I enjoy doing the most? I also, when I was in high school, took an improv class. Um, I was deeply involved in improv acting. I made my own skits with my own voice doing all the characters. You know, I also did a lot of things in terms of speaking and presentations when I was younger. And so the whole world of entertainment was something that I was, I guess, grooming myself for as a teenager. What kind of characters did you improv? I'm not sure what you mean by what kind of characters, but the, the show that I was doing when I was a kid on cassette tape, it was kind of like a family show. Yeah, she's kind of outrageous if you think about it. It was about a couple, a man and woman, and the scenario was is that they had 26 kids. Um, <laughs> yeah, 26 kids. Most of those kids were twins. So she's popping out twins left, right, and sideways. And on top of which, they adopted some kids as well. Um, and so it was a whole series. And it went on, you know, I had it, I was doing it for a couple of years. And so, you know, it would just take you through the regular, the regular situations that a, that a situation comedy would take you through. So, yeah, that, 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 that's kind of what I was doing in brief. I know as a mindset coach, your, your voice is important, but why did you want to study entertainment at a young age? I mean, it's never really not that I wanted to study it. It kind of became natural. It, it just was natural. So I think me going totally blind may have unlocked something. I'm not really sure how that went. So when I was a wee little boy, when I was, uh, you know, knee high to my own pampers, I wanted to be a teacher. That was my first love is to be a teacher. I wanted to have a class full of students that I wanted to teach them in a typical standard traditional way of teaching. After I became totally blind, a lot of things changed in my life. Obviously, I switched schools. 
the friends I was hanging out with, I couldn't hang out with them anymore. I was more isolated uh, because of all the things that was going on. And so to fill my time, I guess I just started doing all these other things. I started to get it into, you know, radio early. I started to get into political stuff early. I started to get into politics. I used to call talk radio stations. I really got into that whole scene very, very, very early as to fill my time. That's also when the entertainment stuff came up. That's when I started doing the the acting um, and later on the home music albums and later on, you know, getting into vocal lessons and things. And so I think all that entertainment activity came from a desire to fill my time with stuff. That must have been cool going to the radio and having a debate with politics with an uh, adult DJ, you know? I was calling talk shows and talking about the presidential elections and all these things when I was 13. So, you know, that's another area that I've had a lot, I have some experience in is politics. So I've been doing the political thing as far as looking at it, talking about it, whatever. I started that when I was 12, 13. It sounds like you're a well-rounded guy, you know, entertainment, music, mindset, probably throwing a bit of food and entertainment and TV, I'd say as well. But what kind of food do you like cooking or eating? I'm kind of a safe eater, not safe as in, you know, quality of the safe as far as like the food I like, <laughs> you know, so I like the typical meat and potatoes. I'm a typical meat and potatoes dude. I like chicken. I know I like uh, potatoes. You know, I, I eat vegetables. I eat a lot of fruit. I drink a lot of water. I try to keep my diet. You know, like I said, I'm not a I'm not a vegan. I'm not anyone that is really really high on the super 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 duper. I can only eat you know leaves and bark. I'm not like that. But I do try to be mindful of what I put in my body. So I drink an enormous amount of water. Water is very important to keep your system clean and keep everything running. I eat a lot of fruit. Um, you know, apples, pineapples, grapes, uh, things like that. I mainly eat chicken. I don't, I really don't eat a whole lot of other kind of meat like I used to. I mainly stick to chicken. I make sure I have vegetables like raw carrots. I like broccoli. I'm trying to get myself into spinach again, but I don't know if that's going to work. I'm just going to have to eat it because it's healthy, not because I like it. <laughs> um, so, you know, I like my sweets too. I like my lemonade and things like that. But I figured if I'm going to eat sweets like you know, lemonade, I'm going to make sure that everything else is healthy as well. And I used to eat a lot of junk food, but I've declined in eating junk food over the years. So as I get older, slowly but surely, my diet becomes more healthy. I think that applies to all of us. When we get older, we become wiser and we make better decisions. Then when we're young, we just go into a full throttle, you know? Oh, God, I ate all kind of garbage when I was young. I just ate anything. I mean, not anything, but like if it was garbage, I was eating it. If it was fast food, it was processed food, microwave food, food that was, you know, fake food. Because, you know, like fish sticks aren't really fish, you know, <laughs> stuff, like, stuff like that. Oh, I ate all that garbage, potato chips, things like that. I don't really do that much anymore. Um, I do have my little vices, like I said, lemonade and iced tea, things like that. But I don't eat nearly the amount of garbage I did when I was young. And probably when you got wiser as well, you kind of cleaned up your own mindset. You got smarter with your techniques, your tools as well, right? Yeah, you know, when you get older, you get you get smarter. You start to learn different techniques. You start to really I think the older you are, the more you become you and the more comfortable you are with you and the less you care about what other people think of you. So, yeah. If you're giving a speech, is there a way that you prepare and do everything in sense of accessibility and getting around, memorizing and all that kind of stuff? 
the preparing to give a speech is pretty much the same for everyone. If you know that you want to give a speech or that you want to become a speaker or whatever, you first have to know what you want to talk about, obviously, and also what your own style is. What kind of audience do you want to speak to? Because you can speak about the same topic, but in very different styles. You know, for example, the audience I would be speaking to would be more open and less conservative. So I'd be able to say more, use more adult language, use more, talk more directly uh, than maybe I would if I'm speaking to more of a conservative religious crowd, even if it's the same topic. So first, you got to know what you're speaking about. Then you got to know what your own style is. And then, you know, you go through the normal preparation to prepare your, your talk. As far as casing out the joint, when you get there as a blind person, you get there before time. Really, it's the same for everybody. You get to your venue before time, so you get a chance to case out the joint, huh? So, you know, you kind of go on stage if you can, get a sense on the size of the stage, the scope of the stage. If you're blind, where the mics are going to be, unless you brought your own mic. Get a sense on how big the room is. So you want to get there before time so you can kind of observe what's going on ask questions to the people that are hosting the event so you can get a better sense on how to navigate. Because if I'm speaking, I can stand in one place behind the podium, but that's not really advisable. When you're a speaker, people want to see your, your mind, body, and soul interact with them and the speech, give your speech life. And so you want to be able to move around and basically command the stage. And if I guess if you're blind, you got to make sure you really know what the layout is. So you have the freedom to be able to give your all when giving that presentation. I wonder if you were looking at yourself giving your own speech, what, what feedback could you give yourself, you know? You know, I, you know, it's funny. I, I've been speaking and I went through, I don't know if you've heard of the, it's called Toastmasters. It's a speaking and leadership uh, organization. It's, it's worldwide, international. And I went through that entire program. You know, I've taught public speaking and I've gone through public speaking programs. I've been listening to my own voice since I've been like 11 years old. And so what would I give my own advice? You know, I still think, I still think I could improve. You know, sometimes I listen to my voice and go, oh, I'm a little bit stiff there. I can loosen up a little bit, you know? So sometimes I think maybe I'm, sometimes I think I speak too formal when I don't need to. So, you know, there's always little bumps and things that we can tweak along the way, no matter how experienced we are. How do you manage the self-critic? Because we're all critics of each other. We can say, oh, that's bad. But someone can listen to that and say, oh, no, that's good, you know? We all are our own worst critics, that's true. It's a process to kind of get ourselves to be more objective. So listening to your own voice helps you become a third party in that. It's important to kind of take a third party view of yourself. So pretend that you are someone else. So, okay, I'm listening. Instead of thinking that I'm listening to a recording of my speech, I may be listening to a recording of Dennis's speech. Yeah, I know my name is Dennis, but it's a third party effect. So what do I think of this person? You know, and I try to listen objectively. You know, that's a trick that we can do for all areas of personal observation. Instead of thinking of things in a personal manner, think of things in a third party manner. What would Dennis do in this situation, even though I'm Dennis? Or what would someone else do? What would I say to myself if I were somebody else? You know, there's all different kind of mind frames you can take to be able to effectively give yourself feedback without being too critical. Dennis, you created the podcast and website for Core Confidence Life. Tell us about how that came about. 
Well, Core Confidence Life, as I said in the beginning, is a service that helps millennial men break down their inner limitations. And so that's what it's built around. I'm a mindset specialist and I teach public speaking as well. The podcast is an extension of that. I interview people who have expertise in the field of men's personal development. I also interview men themselves, the everyday man, to talk about their challenges, their own ups and downs in their life and how they got past it. And so, you know, I cover both sides there, the professional side and the personal side. As far as how the podcast came about in general, I think this podcast is an outcome of my, well, my life. I've been speaking forever. I've been, you know, I've been on the radio forever, you know, starting with calling talk shows when I was a kid. So I've been literally, you know, on the radio for a long time, off and on. My lifelong love of speaking and expressing myself is probably what's behind the podcast. But the ultimate goal of, of this podcast is the same goal it is for my service altogether is to help people unlock themselves. And there's different ways of doing that. And the podcast is one of those ways. Do you feel through your own life story, you you came across the limitation in your own life that you are able to teach other people to get past their own limitations? My own limitations in life? Sure. I think one of my limitations was that I was not paying attention to my own potential. I was looking at other people's lives instead of paying attention to my own life. And so I had to learn not to do that. And of course, that was a limitation of mine that, you know, caused me to have stunted development. And so once I untangled all that, you know, it was freeing. You know, that's certainly a personal challenge I had that I help clients with. That's definitely one of those things. Also, reducing the amount of, you know, self-criticism and guilt and stigma that a person has about themselves. You know, we talked about being overly critical because that's a tendency of humans. I had to learn to look at myself in a more objective fashion and not judge myself based on what are really contrived and fake standards that culture has established for people. See, once you learn how arbitrary everything is, it frees you. Once you understand that a lot of the standards, rules, and things that the culture teaches us, they're all kind of arbitrary and made up by the people in power at the time, the more you understand that you don't have to live up to anything other than who you are, that different aspects of who you are are just fine. How tall you are, your personality type, whether you're introvert, extrovert, who you're attracted to, you know, men or women, whatever it is, all of those things are your personal attributes. The standards that society sets up are largely arbitrary. And once you figure that out, that everything is just a mind game there, you can start paying more attention to who you are. I think that's so interesting in the sense of when we pare back everything around us and we just focus on who we are, we identify our genius. Do you see yourself as a genius in your own way? I don't know. I, I definitely know that I am educated, experienced, and intelligent. I never thought of the word genius, but I think that we all have our own form of unique genius because we all have something that we can do. We all have a special talent. Sometimes I come across people that say, oh, I'm not talented or I'm not creative. Well, I think that's bull. I think that we all have talent. We all are creative. We all have areas of our life where we shine. A lot of us don't step into that and own it, but I think we all have it. And so I wouldn't, I never thought of myself as a genius per se, 
but I am very aware of my, of my strong qualities. And I'm aware of my deficits as well. I think you are aware of your ability, but yet your disability doesn't stop who you are. And I think that's amazing how you've gone out and you've sculpted this lifestyle to become a mentor to people to live and sculpt their own inner being of their mind. And I think that's amazing. And that's, I believe, is your ability is to understand the individual and figure them how to get out of their way into their um, inner self to become who they are. We got to get out of our own way so we can become who we want to be. This whole thing about disability, it doesn't exist. So if you look at the word disability in a literal sense, then sure, a lot of us have disability. You know, I can't see, someone else can't walk, somebody else, whatever it is. But really, all that stuff is still bull because we all have obstacles and challenges in our lives that we have to contend with, whether they're visible or not, number one. And number two, the idea that because I can't do something that limits me, that's a societal contrived idea. It doesn't exist. There's different ways of doing the same thing. So the idea that you're limited because you can't do some physical thing is bull. I've seen people who are I guess by all accounts, severely mentally disabled, and they get up and go to work. Anyone can contribute to society. Pretty much almost anyone can contribute to society, no matter what their supposed limitations are. If you met someone in the street and said, you know, I, what you just described there, I can't do it because, you know, of, of my impairment or whatever, what advice would you give them? I say, well, why don't you try to reimagine that? You know, because it's all about mindset. If you say, I can't do something because I'm disabled, then it's true. Because you, what, when you say it, you know, and you believe it, then you automatically start living, uh, limiting yourself. If you think that you can't do anything because you're disabled, then you can't. Because you're going to limit yourself because of the way you look at the world. If you were to change your mind frame around and from, well, I can't do anything because I'm disabled, change that mind frame to what are my unique talents? What can I do? Instead of focusing on what you think you can't do, focus on what you can do. Okay, I'm blind, so I can't see. Okay, yippee-ki-yay. What can I do? I'm in a wheelchair. I can't walk. Okay, well, whoop-de-doo. Well, what can I do? I'm only five feet. I can't play basketball. All right, fine. Well, what can I do? So if you change your mind frame from what you can't do to what you can do, that's one way. Also, think about the things you want to do and say, well, how could I do it? I used to ask myself when I was a kid, okay, well, I'm blind. I've always wanted to be a teacher. Now I'm blind. How do I become a teacher now? What's the road to that look like now that I'm blind? Instead of assuming that my teaching dreams are over because I can't see, you change your mind frame and go, okay, I want to do this, but I'm this. How could I get there? It's really all about a mind shift because if we believe something, we're going to create self-fulfilling prophecies. I totally agree. I think we're all living in a partially excited world where we're excited about what we do, but we're mentally partially aware of how to become that individual that we want to do. And, you know, Dennis, and someone that's inspiring people to become who they are, what is your ultimate mission that you'd like to achieve in life? The ultimate mission is to be able to develop or construct, I don't know what those right words are. My ultimate mission is to continue where I am now, to get more and more and more and more people to understand their ability to create themselves and to create what they want in life. And so I want people to understand the dynamics of mind frame and mindset. 
I want people to understand the dynamics of who you are spiritually, your soul, and how to exercise who you are in a holistic way. And so if you want to say, well, what, what's my ultimate dream? What do I want to take all this? It's creating a, I don't know about, I don't know if I want to use the word movement. I don't know what the right word is here, but to create an atmosphere where people can exercise their natural power through holistic means and mindsets. It sounds like you're the X-Men of personal development and life, you know? <laughs> <laughs> the Charles Xavier of, of the X-Men. That's right. That's right. Tap into your natural self through holistic mindsets and, and methods. And I think that's the real key to understanding that. In the pursuit of becoming more holistic in the things that we do, we have to also, we first have to deconstruct what we think we know. We first have to deconstruct all the things that society taught us, all the things that we were told by the culture that isn't actually true. And even all the things that our mother told us that she wanted us to learn because she thought it was the right thing, but it actually isn't true. And so we have to go through a deconstruction of what we think we know before we can discover what we know we know. What inspires you to do what you do? Oh. There's always something that I grow from every day. So when I get up, I look forward to, to simple things in life, speaking to my friends, exchanging love with the people who surround me, being able to provide a safe space and an open space for others to explore themselves. That's probably one of the things I like doing most is providing that safe space, providing that, that hand for someone to be able to have the ability and to have the space to explore who they are. And I'm just there as somebody who is facilitating your own personal process because it's your process. I'm just there as a facilitator and someone that can kind of help move the process along quicker. That's what I look forward to every day, is spreading the word of holistic personal development and watching more and more men become confident in themselves and pass that on to future generations. If a male person's listening to this podcast uh, conversation we're having and they're just introduced to personal development for the first time, what would you recommend them to go do or listen to or understand to develop them as a person? Well, I would first go and just in the beginning, for me, it helped to understand what confidence was, what, you know, what confidence is, you know, just just me studying the idea of what confidence is and how you build it. And so if you're just getting into personal development, what helped me out is to understand all the components that everyone talks about. Because, you know, everyone tells you, you should be confident, you should love yourself, you should you should think highly of yourself, but no one actually tells you how to do that. And so I think it would be beneficial for someone just starting to feel their way through, you know, accessing their, their deeper powers is to understand all the concepts. What is confidence? What does all that mean? Get a better, get an understanding of that. Also, I would say, look at everything that you've been taught. Like I had just mentioned, look at everything that you've been taught and question it, right? Look at your belief systems and question it. Do I really believe what I think I do or was I taught this, you know? And if I was taught this, do I agree with it or do I just follow it because I was taught it or because it's tradition? And so questioning what you believe is another key to unlocking who you are because we're all taught things by somebody else. We're all getting impressions from the world around us. 
And that's fine because we're a social people. That's okay. But the next step is to question those beliefs. Do I really believe this or do I'm just, am I just following the family tradition? Does this belief get me where I want to go or am I keeping this up to make somebody else happy? So that's a key part of beginning to crack the code of personal development is understanding the concepts of what development is, confidence and self-esteem and so forth, and then not being afraid to go inside yourself and start the questioning process. Because the questioning process will begin the deconstruction process, which will lead to the reconstruction process of who you are. Dennis, I want to say thank you so much for coming on to the show and sharing what you're going to share. It's been a fabulous conversation and an honor having you on. Thank you for this opportunity for spreading the word. And I think that's great what you're doing. Keep up the great work and stay confident. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.